you don't know what you don't have, right? And so, for instance, my first time going to Disneyland was when I was 25 years old. Um, I think that the first time I went boating was in college. I'd never been boating before. I've still never been to Lake Powell. So I wasn't, I, I was, I never worried about what other people were doing. I was always very dialed in on what I was doing. And th this is the thing though, is it, it paid off. This is Vail Media's Now You Know podcast, where local influencers, athletes, teachers, business owners, and so on share their stories. All of them your neighbors, and if you don't know them, now you know. Today on our show, we have Jordan Pendleton. A lot of people will recognize Jordan from his successful career that he had at BYU on the football field. He played on the defensive side of the ball and was a critical player uh, for that team. Today, Jordan has shifted his career path and is now an entrepreneur and a coach and a trainer at uh, Performance One, which is the company that he uh, founded. Um, there's two principles that I think uh, you should look for, uh, among many others, um, as we uh, listen to our interview that we had with, um, with Jordan. The first principle, I think, is discipline and how sacrifice played into discipline. The things that he gave up, even as a young kid and teenager, uh, so that he could kind of lock in um, a more successful future as a athlete, um, and I and the other the other principle I think that you should look out for is also leadership. This has a couple different angles to it. Um, one is the leadership that he received coming up and developing as an athlete. The other side of it is what leadership looks like now that he's in the leader role as a business owner for his employees, as a trainer and a coach uh, for everyone that he's helping. Um, what are, what does it mean to be a good leader? How do you lead um, a group of individuals to a better path, to more success, or what have you? These are a couple of the principles that uh, stood out to me, um, and I'm sure that you'll find other principles. But um, without further ado, Let's jump into our interview with Jordan Pendleton. Why do you love Utah, man? Oh, man. I mean, I was born and raised in Utah. So, um, you know, growing up here, I always felt like it was a, a great place to grow up as far as just what it had to offer. Um, you know, sports obviously being my main background, mm -hmm. I felt like I had a lot of opportunities um, to a lot of awesome coaches that I was able to work with, but just as far as a place to live, it's beautiful. Uh, there's, there's so much you can do here. Uh, there's so many, you know, I always tell people cause I, I lived out of state for a while and it's funny. You don't realize how awesome Utah is until you actually leave it and then come back and you realize that people from all over the world come here to experience our mountains yeah. and, to go to some of our, you know, national parks. And this is all just right here within, you know, sometimes a 15 minute drive and yep. you can be in the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful places in the world or mm. somewhere that people from other countries are coming all the way here just to visit. Right. And when you grow up here, you're kind of naive about that. You don't realize how special it is until you actually get away. And then you realize when you come back, I'm like, man, there's so many places, there's so many things to do um, in winter, in the summer, you know, fall is beautiful and, you know, sports here are awesome. We got some awesome college teams. Yeah. Um, so 
as far as just growing up here, I felt like it, it was a, it was a good place. Uh, I had every opportunity that I wanted to be able to accomplish what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And then now you look at all these tech companies. Yeah. I mean, we're sitting in one of the buildings right now, but you look at the the amount of growth that has come to Utah, and it's it's pretty special, yeah. you know. And so there's just so much opportunity for growth here. But it's it's a state that, you know, you have every opportunity that you want and it doesn't matter who you are, what walk of life you are. There's something here for you in Utah. Yeah. And so, um, I've always loved growing up here. I feel like I'll, it's underappreciated yeah. by a lot of people. I appreciate that, man. You mentioned the mountains. Are you an outdoors guy? Is that your favorite? I, you know, I, I never have been, and I'm trying to get more into it. Uh-huh. When I was growing up, it was all sports. Yeah. So for instance, like if I went skiing or snowboarding and I got injured, my dad would have just absolutely whooped my ass. <laughs> so I never really got into it. But now that I'm getting older, I'm like trying to find different hobbies and, and different things to do. And that I never really was able to do when I was younger because yeah. I was just so dialed in on sports, sports, sports. Right. And um, so yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to craft my inner outdoorsman but i never really have been in the past i think i've been skiing like two or three times my whole entire life but yeah man just never really got into it that's cool man what about the your favorite spot like because you're you every everyone that knows you and by the way i'll take advantage of this time to to kind of plug you so uh go follow jordan pendleton's uh instagram you're you're uh what is your instagram handle by the way it's at pendleton performance at pendleton performance and we're going to get into uh, the performance brand and and uh, everything that you're working for today. But if you if you're a listener and you're familiar with Jordan, you already know that he's a huge uh, health advocate. And um, and so this this next question I think would be interesting in terms of uh, I mean your perspective in that space. Um, is there a place that you like to eat like uh, or is it always home cooking or 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 for you? And and this is more like. When, if you're away from Utah, you you mentioned your athletic career. You had a very successful athletic career. You traveled um, quite a bit. Was there is there always a place where you're like, man, if only this place had this, like in Utah, then, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's a good question, man. I feel like we have really good Mexican food. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite places actually is in St. George. So every time I go down there, it's like I have to eat here. And it's called Angelica's. Angelica's. It is unbelievable. And it's probably not healthy, you know, but it's, it's one of those ones where you don't really care. You're just like, I'm going all in. And then, uh, you know, sushi is honestly like my favorite. If, if I'm going out on a weekend or if I'm having a meal where I just, I don't really care. I'm just kind of eating whatever I want. I love, I love sushi. My favorite sushi joint is Sapa sushi and that's downtown in Salt Lake city. And so I feel like we've got a lot of good sushi places, a lot of good Mexican places, but there's, there's also a lot of varieties. There's also a lot of local Utah yeah. owned restaurants that yeah. are phenomenal, yeah. you know, that you're not going to find in that they're, they're actually expanding to other States, yeah. but started here. Yeah, exactly. So that's cool. But those are kind of my two, two go-tos. Do you have a favorite destination in Utah, like a favorite place, place to visit? Um, or, or are you just like in the valley type of guy? Yeah, I'm usually I'm actually a, I'm a homebody. So yeah. you know, I I like to be at home. But you know, it's funny you ask that. We were we were talking about Utah and how cool Utah is, and I had realized I'd never I'd been to Moab before, mm-hmm. but I'd never actually went and saw the Delicate Arch. Yeah, and 
you know, I had a buddy that lived in Kentucky and that was like on, he, he's a, she travels all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what he does. He's just all over the world. Uh, he's got a huge, massive following on Instagram. And, um, one of his like bucket list things was he wanted to come to Moab and see the delicate arch. And I'm sitting here like, well, I've lived in Utah my whole life and I right. haven't even seen it. It's just one of those things where we take it for granted. Yeah. So he, he actually flew out here about three years ago and stayed with me and my wife and we took him to Moab and it was like my first time, I'm like, yeah. you know, 28 years old at the time. And it's yeah. my first time seeing the delicate arch. And I, it, I was like blown away. And again, there was people there from Australia, like yeah. all over the world that were there everybody had accents and and so going and seeing that was pretty cool i love going down to st george yeah. uh, my parents actually live down there now i, I love the weather um I, it's beautiful down there and and me and my brother one of our favorite trips that we we go to um what's that national park down there zions, zions yeah. we go to zions and we take our harleys we take our harleys down That's what's up, man. and we stay on the back the east east side of zions and it's just it's just breathtaking man so you know i i there, there's a couple places where, you know, people from all over the world come, and and so we we love going down to St. George's. The weather's nice. Yeah, uh, it's beautiful down there. But that's um, cool, man. Yeah. I think it's like a. I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, at least the part about just being like 15 minutes away, because St. George is kind of the same way. People down there kind of take because when you're driving down to St. George for the first time and you all of a sudden just see these red rocks everywhere, you're just like, this is just here. Like people, yeah. like you know, <laughs> yeah. like. Does nobody take notice that, that this is so crazy the way that this looks? And, yeah. And when I have family from Australia that visits uh, quite a bit, and and uh, I remember my aunt coming for the first time, and she was like, "She like we're just on I-15, and she just has her phone going full, nonstop the whole way from the airport to Sandy because she was just like, I just can't believe there's mountains just right there. And yeah, like, just blown away. Yeah, you yeah. never know. So I appreciate you mentioning that, man. Well, let's uh, let's kind of jump into your story. You have um, uh, today. Well, I, I want to mention, and I, and I I'll probably already have mentioned your your uh, successful football career. Uh, you played at Brigham Young University. Um, you went to Bingham High School, and, and I only bring that up. Normally, I don't bring up people's high school careers, but Bingham High School in Utah is like a equivalent, like it's like a dynasty. Their football program, the past, it seems like forever now. But it seems like the squad that you, that you were on uh, when you were in high school at Bingham uh, was like a, one of the like pioneering teams in kind of starting this dynasty. You guys had, jeez, um, I remember I played against you guys, and it was like pretty much eight guys from both sides of the ball all going to Division One colleges, and it was just like, dang, dude, these guys uh, are unstoppable, and, and you were a part of that. Um, but uh, let's even go further back than that, because as you mentioned, athletics and sports has always been kind of a focus for you. Um, and, and even before you were born, your dad also was a standout football player. And I didn't know that till recently, but he played at Brigham Young University, too. Is that right? Yep. Yep. And is he from Utah? Or? Yeah, he's from a small town, uh, Richfield. Richfield. Richfield, Utah. Right yep. on. And what position did your dad play? Uh, he was a wide receiver. Good deal. Yeah. Which you excelled at in high school. In high, yep. were, well, that's how I remember because it was just like touchdown after touchdown, Jordan Pendleton. <laughs> and then if they didn't give it to you, then it was, you guys had two excellent running backs in uh, Douglas Fifia and Sam Longy and uh, Jonathan Cuff also was in the mix. Yep. And, uh, so you guys 
standout standout team. But um, when when you were growing up, was was sports an interest of yours, or or did was and that that come from your from your dad? What kind of kid were you when you were growing up? Yeah, de- definitely came from my dad. Um, we we really had no choice. Um, we were very sports our whole life. I, I tell people it's funny. I like the first the only trips most kids grow up. Well, I shouldn't say most, but most of my friends and most of the kids I train and see now they're always on vacations and boating and doing all these all this stuff. The only trips I went on up until I graduated were all for sports. So I really never got out of Utah unless it was for sports. And so sports was installed into me at a very young age. I remember being five years old and the goal was to play professional sports. You know, that was the goal. And my dad was really hard on on me and and pushed me. And, you know, I grew up, um, you know, I have a different personality type. There's different types of personalities there's kids that if you push them they start feeling uncomfortable and they want to quit right it might push them away from sports and Mm -hmm. they might start rebelling a little bit um i was the opposite of that like the more he put on me the more i actually wanted uh and so i was i was just pushed from a very young age i was asked to do things at a very young age that most children most kids growing up aren't asked to do right what are some of those things well just some of those things is like um i'll I'll just kind of like give you a little background for instance when i would get done with my little league football practice right and i'm seven eight years old my dad would we would leave practice and then he would take me to bingham high school and then he would make me run hill sprints after practice because his, his whole thing was you're not competing against these kids on your team you're competing against these kids in Georgia and Florida and and his whole thing was there's always going to be just because you're better than these kids doesn't mean that you're better than the kids. There's a, there's a lot of kids out there. And, and I always remembered that like I wasn't ever competing against my teammates. I was always competing against myself because I knew that there were other athletes out there that were working just as hard, if not harder. So he would take me from practice and, and he would make me go, basically do hill sprints for another hour and i loved it you know i loved it that, that's just one example most kids go home and play video games right. go eat dinner and um practice wasn't over for me um anytime my friends and my, and my friends can vouch for this but my house was always the house to be at i think a large part of that was because of my dad my you know we had a full court basketball court in our backyard and me and my friends would be up competing playing five on five basketball till 2 3 a.m in the morning and my parents bedroom is literally right like you know the backyard their bedroom windows right Right there there. we'd be blasting music and you know most of my friends parents like if we were loud and up till 2 a.m they would be like pissed right like go to bed it's past your bedtime my parents never did that they they i think the fact that my dad knew we were out there working and competing like in his mind he loved that and and so if you if you came to my house we were competing my dad would always have competition push-up competitions he'd make me and my friends fight and wrestle and whoever won would you know he would take us to 7-eleven and buy us a slurpee and all this candy and so it was just it was always a it was always a competition 
um, I'd get home from basketball practice and then he'd, he'd be like, all right, we got to go out in the backyard. You got to make a hundred free throws and you can't, you know, you're, you're not done until you make a hundred and just things like that. I was just constantly, constantly pushed and I, I never felt satisfied by any success that I had in, you know, in my team sport. It, there was always much more to it. And, and that's just how I grew up. So I grew up learning how to love how to compete. And he did it in a way that was motivating because he would always reward me. So it taught me at a young age that if I worked hard and I worked harder than everybody else, there's this reward on the other side, whether that was he went and bought me a pair of shoes or, you know, whatever it was, he always rewarded me. And I, I think it just was a natural thing for him. And he didn't, it's not like he was reading leadership books or, right. you know, learning, like it was just a natural instinct for him. Cause that's just how he was. He's just a very competitive person. So, that's cool, man. you know, anytime my family is together, whether we're playing Yahtzee or it doesn't, we're going bowling. It doesn't matter. There's always money on the line. We're always competing. Somebody's yeah. going to get pissed off. And that's just the way I was raised. So. When you, when you look back, um, it, were, were there ever any times because I, I was going to ask like was that hard for you but you already answered that you said that you loved when the pressure was on um, but when when you were traveling was there ever a time where like uh, you wanted to do skiing and snowboarding and stuff and you're like dang why can't I do that or even then it was like man I, I'm playing for something bigger yeah that's, that's a good question I, I, I never worried about that stuff because I was never exposed to it for instance my first time going to Disneyland was when I was 25 years old so I didn't know what Disneyland was, nor did I care. Right. Um, I, I think because I wasn't exposed to certain things, um, I think that the first time I went boating was in college. I'd never been boating before. Yeah. I've still never been to Lake Powell. Yeah. Speaking of a place in Utah that's beautiful, yeah. I mean, I'll take people's word for it. I've still never <laughs> been there. So I wasn't uh, – you don't know what you don't have, right? Yeah. And so I, was, I never worried about what other people were doing. I was always very dialed in on what I was doing. And – and, and, and th this is the thing though, is it, it paid off, right? Like the more successful I started becoming in all sports, cause I played four sports growing up, um, that motivated me more to keep my head down. So I never worried about what other kids were doing and what I, I didn't have access to. My way of thinking is I never had access to that anyway. We didn't have boats. We didn't go on trips. We didn't do certain things. So I didn't really know what I was missing out on. And still to this day, like, even when I do travel, I'm there four or five days and then I'm like getting antsy to come home because yeah. it's just kind of, that's just in my DNA. Like I, I love going on vacation now. It's great. But there's a certain point where I start to get a little bit antsy. I want to get home. I want to get back to work and I want to get back into my routine. So I never thought about it like that because I never experience certain things mm -hmm. so I, I never felt like i was missing out on anything and it was always much more rewarding to me winning yeah. <laughs> and 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 seeing it pay off and then it just it just drove that motivation even more dude i think i i, I love that mindset right and i think that's really impressive to have a young kid growing up have this mindset like that's cool i'll take your word that lake Powell and disneyland is as great as it is but uh but i'm dialed in and i'm excelling at where i want to excel at and so it, the the trade-off isn't worth it to me. Um, and I, when I think of that, I'm like, man, I would love for my child, you know, I have three little kids coming up, fourth one on the way, but like uh, 
I, w- I would love for them to like have that mindset at so young too, uh, which kind of leads me to this question. Um, do you think you were naturally like that? Like that you naturally just, you're born with this uh, strong mentality uh, or was it uh, 100% because of your dad? And here's a underline, another question that would follow up with that. Uh, well, let's, let's, I guess let's just go there first. Yeah. That, that's a great question. I think about this all the time. Can you change, can you change that in, a, in an individual? Um, I think, you know, I've been doing a lot of self-help stuff in the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, hiring coaches uh, for whether it's business-related, um, sales-related, just really investing in myself. And, you know, I, I think to an extent you can change a kid's, certain behavior or certain belief system. But I really do think that to an extent you're born with it, right? Because not, not every kid is going to respond the way I responded. And, and ha- having trained thousands of athletes over the years and, and thousands of athletes, every kid is different. And so, you know, learning about personality types, I have to train kids differently. There are kids I'm like so hard on. I'm, I'm hard on them like my dad was hard on me. But it's because I know they're going to respond and I know that they're going to their their level is going to elevate. And then there's certain kids that are very insecure. Uh, They might be a great athlete, but they need to be nurtured more. Like I have to tell them if I ever critique them, like prime example is I have a kid that I can I can literally be like, dude, that was shit. That wasn't good enough. Right. And then it's for him, he's, he's going to prove me wrong. Yeah. If I reword that to this athlete and I won't say their names, but I have to be like, Hey man, really good job. Um, everything's great, but I want you to work on this. So I have to be positive first. And then I have to say, all right, like, Hey, everything looks really good, but I want you to fix this. And I want you to focus on this. I have to give them a positive affirmation. And then I have to be like, come in and be like, but I want you to change this. And then in their mind, they're like, okay, I'm, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Um, I just need to fix one thing. Other kids, I can be like, dude, that was terrible. Like wake up, like you, you know better, yeah. but you know, they're going to respond to that. So coaching kids, you have to coach based off different behaviors and every kid is different. And I think it's something um, to a huge extent that you're born with. I, yeah. I know kids that dads were way hard on them. And they ended up quitting or they ended up getting in, you know, going and rebelling, getting into drugs and certain things yeah. uh, because, you know, it, it drove them away from the sport. And I was just never like that. So I think I was born with it. Um, I, I developed it at a young age and I think my dad accelerated it. Yeah. So do you think that that coaching element also translates to parenting, too? Right. Because I, I know that you're recently a father. Congratulations, yeah, by the way. Yep. Um and you know, I mean, I, I think about my kids, and like, I'm like, man, I would love my kids to have the, such a strong mindset. That that skill set of being a coach and being able to know who your athletes are. Do you think that translates also to to parenting? One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, you you there's there's different personality tests you can take. There's there's different things. Um, you you can study this, and um, and I make sure that like my, I actually bought all my trainers a book last year that goes over all the different personality types of athletes. Because I feel like if we can train our athletes 
um, in a way that is beneficial to what their personality type is, it's, it's going to make them that much better. And every single person is different. Um, you know, you, you have people that you don't need to say a word to, you can just look at them and they know what they did wrong. Uh, you have people that you have to coddle that you have to nurture and be like, it's okay, dude. Like you're doing awesome, Mm -hmm. Billy, you know, uh, a for effort. And, and then there's kids that, like I said, you know, where I'm really, really hard on them, but I'm the closest with them because it's, it's like a tough love thing. And, but it it all depends on the kid. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I I feel like it's no different from raising children. I don't want to act like an expert because my daughter's only three and a half months old, but I 100% think that every kid needs to be trained or nurtured or, or grow or raised a certain way that's uh that they're going to respond to a lot better right it's not like a blanket like if yep. you do this 100 percent of the time this is going to work exactly yeah I, everybody's different i'm so glad you bring this up man because you know this idea of coaching um i i, I didn't come around the corner on it until literally in my adult years i kind of always thought like man the the best player plays no matter what and and maybe didn't even fully understand the the role of a coach. I thought they were just the adult in the room. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've learned that, man, this is a real skill set to have as a coach. And, and you can translate that to parenting and to being able to understand and, and juggle different personalities to make the whole team work as one orchestra or symphony. Like um, I, uh, I, I remember I read this article. There was a an athlete, um, Wes Welker, like who's in the NFL. And he talked about this and I was like, wait, this dude's in the NFL. And he said that he, he played for a team and the coach was just yelling at him. Like, you know what I mean? Putting him down or whatever. And he's like, I'm just not one of those players. Just talk to me. He's like, you don't have to tell me, you don't have to sugarcoat it. Just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. And I'll respond. He's like, I'm not the, and I was like, wait a minute. I thought all guys respond to kind of similar right, to the mindset yeah. that you had. Yeah. That's what I thought an athlete was. My dad kind of raised me the same way. He's like, I'm going to tell you straight to your face and you got, you better swallow it. And I'm just like, all right. Like, you know what I mean? But it was interesting to learn that there is this skill set of being a coach, which kind of translates to your, your profession today yeah. about, um, about being a coach and understanding personalities. Yeah. It, it's a huge thing. And it's something I've really gotten into over the past couple of years. Cause I, I used to take it personal if I didn't connect with a certain athlete or a certain player, because I, I would want to train people like how I was raised because that's just what I know. It's like that tough love. Like at the end of the day, I care about you and that's why I'm hard on you. But especially nowadays with social media and everything in this world, like these kids are under so much pressure to look and feel a certain way. And you know, there, there's some people and, and, and a lot of athletes that, you know, like for instance, I had a, a combine athlete, very good athlete that um, was very, uh, I don't know what the proper word is. Um, I don't want to say insecure, but essentially kind of insecure. Like he would do something and then he would, after every drill or after every jump or something, would look at me and be like, hey, did, did that look okay? Right? Like needed that feedback. And, I remember talking to one of my coaches and I said, Hey, like when, when he does something good, tell him how good he is. Some people need to be told how good they are because that's, what's going to give them the confidence to be like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing awesome. Um, very crazy. Right. 
I almost wanted to be told how shitty I was. Right. You know, and so um, not that that's a, a negative thing or anything. And in, in, in my opinion, it was like you you could do better. Um, you me and me in my mind, I know I'm not shitty. It's just. I didn't do that thing very well. And, and what he's saying is I can do way better. My, my potential is way better, but there are athletes that we literally have to tell, dude, you're, you're doing so, Hey, you're looking so good. There's clients, general population clients where you have to say, man, you're looking so good. Like how, like how many pounds are you down? Like you're looking phenomenal. Your shirt's baggy on you. you And they're like, really? Like, you know, or there's the client that's like, I can go and, you know, grab his arm and be like, Dude, what's this? Yeah, what are <laughs> what are you eating? You know, so there's just there's something to be said about it, and it, it really is. You look at the best coaches in the world; um, they have usually the best coaches in the world also have a little bit of help, right? They have the best players in the world, and mm-hmm. I always get mad when people are like, "Well, he was only a good coach because he had Michael Jordan and mm-hmm. Scottie Pippen." Well, Michael Jordan never won until he had Phil Jackson. Right. Right. And Phil Jackson is somebody that was really into that. Um, he had the ability to bring players like Dennis Rodman and and all these different egos together and make them one. And that's that's one of the biggest things in coaching, especially at a high level. You've got so many different egos, personality types. Um, I mean, if you guys watch that documentary, the Bulls documentary, it, it was pretty insane. And I, I was a huge Bulls fan growing up. At the time, I had no clue that Dennis Rodman left for like 10 days and went to Vegas and went on some drug binge. <laughs> and the fact that Phil let him do that and the players were okay with that was insanity. But they knew that that's what he needed and that they were going to get the best out of him when he came back. And that's a rare instance. But the ability to orchestrate different personality types, different egos, um, people that are loud mouths, people that are dead quiet and don't say a word. Um, it, it really is a, a beautiful thing when you can bring all that together. And I think it goes really unrecognized, especially in the sports world of, yeah. you know, there's a lot more than just X's and O's. You've yeah. got to have the ability to get the most out of every single player, depending on that player and, and who they are, how they were raised, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, man, I think this this uh, idea of coaching or whatever is really kind of a principle of leadership and um, I love it because when when we first when you first start talking about it, it reminds me of parenting. And then as we talk about it even further, it also translates to business, right? If you're going to have a business and uh, different people working under you, um, that that's something that I've experienced, right? Where you have, I mean, your whole team, you kind of all need each other. But then the the guys, you I mean, there's some guys that might not like each other. They get into a little scuffle or or, or what have you, like, and then. Uh, it's your job as the leader of the business or the uh, the coach of the team or these athletes or a parent to kind of, hey, I understand you're right. You're right here. You know what I mean? Let's, and if you can kind of channel all that energy, uh, well, it might seem negative, right? But internally, you, if you channel it correctly as the leader, you can kind of come out with a beautiful product. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it's a... It's definitely a, a learned skill, and it takes yeah. a lot of experience, obviously, yeah. and dealing with certain people to be able to get to that point. And yeah. when you see it at a high level, it's it's incredible. You, you know, people don't get enough credit, or coaches yeah. don't get enough credit for that. I want to I want to kind of go back, uh, maybe tap back to your your high school career, and and ask this question because you were a successful athlete, um, and and you had. Uh, 
a successful career at Brigham Young University. But what would your advice be? And, and also this kind of, I think you'd have a unique perspective because now you are a coach of a bunch of different athletes uh, with uh, performance, uh, performance one. Um, but what would your advice be to the athlete that's, that they're out there, they're, they're busting their butt in the weight room or whatever, they're putting in work, but they're not getting looks um, to go to the next level? What would your advice be to, to the young uh, hustler like that? Yeah, that's a good question, man. And it's so different now from when I played. You know, because when I played, we didn't have Twitter yeah. and Instagram. And, and you know, I think um, we used to have my MySpace was what we had. But yeah. uh, so, you know, recruiting back then was just so different. And I always just was a, a true believer that if I go out and I'm the best player on the field every single game and I do my job, then I'm going to get a scholarship. Now, I didn't have 50 offers coming out of high school because we didn't have Twitter. We didn't have the, you know, I actually used to, you know, my first highlight film was on a VHS. And you used to have to mail your VHS. And by the time I was, I think, a sophomore, junior, and senior DVD, but you actually had to mail it out to the coaches in hopes that they would just open your DVD and plug it in and watch it. Now you can literally send a highlight film to a head coach or a recruiting coordinator of a college in the matter of seconds. They can actually log into your huddle account and just watch it. We didn't have the ability to do that. So you talked about um, kind of my year, and you mentioned Stanley Hevelius kind of being like pioneers of people that actually got scholarships out of the state of Utah. There's a lot of great athletes in Utah and more and more kids now are getting offers, not because we haven't had that talent, but because the exposure is there. There's so much exposure. And had I've had that exposure, I wouldn't even have known what to do with it at the time. It was, you know, I remember I had 50, I made 50 DVDs and I wrote down every college that I would maybe possibly want to play for. And I would have my head coach, he, he had to mail them all out. And then when I went to college, and I saw how many DVDs these recruiting coordinators have in their, I mean, thousands. And I'm yeah. like, you know, you're lucky if they even got it, one, in the mail. The fact that they took time out of their day to actually watch it would be a whole nother level. So, mm-hmm. so my opinion might be a little bit different just of when I was getting recruited there was no such thing as like being recruited in my mind. I said, if, if I go out and I dominate and I, I get good grades, um, I, I do things right. I don't get in trouble and I perform on the field and I go and I can maybe possibly win a state championship, which is kind of the biggest stage you can be on in, in Utah high school football. Mm. I'm playing at a five, a school, which is the top division at the time then that's going to take care of itself. I never worried about it. I, like I said, I worried about myself and what I was going to do to perform. And I just knew that offers would come if I focused on the task at hand. Nowadays, I would say to kids is, um, you know, there's so many different tools and resources. There's so many satellite camps you can go to, uh, get as much exposure as possible and go to camps, uh, go get noticed, um, put your highlight films together, send, um, send it out, but also don't be a jackass on social media because every coach now, if they're recruiting you, they can see every single thing you do. And if you don't have 
if you don't seem like a kid that's going to fit in their program because, you know, you're tweeting stupid stuff or, you know, whatever, um, you know, it, it, they have the ability now to, to put you under a microscope. And so, you know, get good grades is the most important thing I tell kids is, you know, if, if you and I are both getting recruited, we, we play the same position, we have the same talent, we run the same 40-yard dash, and we have a very equal skill set. All right, who do they choose? All right, what are they going to look at next? The, the next thing they're going to look at is grades. Because if, if you have a 1.7 GPA in high school, you're probably not going to make it in yeah. college without tons of tutors, and they're going to have to nurture you and coddle yeah. you a lot more. If you're a 4.0 student, same skill set, 100% they're always going to they're always going to grab that kid because they know that he's going to come in, he's he's going to take class seriously, he's not going to be in trouble. And so I think, you know, I think there's something to be said about um, off the field just as about uh, just as much as on the field and getting good grades and being a good being a good leader. And um, and then I'll still say it, it doesn't matter how many camps you've gone to, it doesn't matter you know what your post of seven on sevens and posting all this <laughs> stuff at the end of the day when it mattered and and you stepped across the line to play on the field did you perform did you did you put up did you put up stats and did you did you perform and the the ability with these coaches to watch so much film on you now um almost like like us it was just highlights right we sent mm-hmm. in all of our good plays now coaches are watching cut-ups which means they're watching a whole game. Okay, cool, you scored a touchdown. But how lazy were you on all these other routes yeah. where you weren't getting the ball? Did you block well? Um, you know, and, and now you're being exposed to so much more, whereas before we just send in our best plays and we look like All-Americans, right? Yeah. Now they're able to watch the whole game. So being assignment sound, um, having a, a higher football IQ, there's a lot more that goes into it now just because the ability that these coaches have to watch at a much higher level as yeah. far as your your film goes. I had no idea that it, it never occurred to me that you could just tweet a coach now your yeah. highlight film because I remember that. I remember having to send in the DVDs and yeah, like uh, but uh, yeah. I guess if you that never even occurred to me that like you could just post your link. It's insane. Hey, Nick Saban, here you go. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? Like, why not? Just and it, and it all all at the tip of your fingers on your phone. Man. It's crazy, man. It's changed a ton. Yeah, it's changed a ton. Well, you go on to 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 have a, a super successful career at, at BYU. Um, kind of a career athletically that I think a lot of a lot of uh, you mean a lot of athletes aspire to to have, and and uh, obviously from the mindset that you that you just described you deserved it um and then uh after you're done with with college you, you we're going to get into performance one but when when your athletic career ended uh formally in terms of you know I mean playing football um what do you think your biggest takeaway was that took your biggest lesson from from sports uh and now plugging it into the real world what do you think that was yeah i think sports help tremendously um, you know, when you're in it and you're in the moment, you feel like it's never going to end. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter if you go play in the league for 20 years, you go play for three years, or you never actually make it. At some point, it's going to come to an end. And it doesn't matter if you've made millions of dollars and you're set for life. It doesn't matter if you ended as a senior in high school. 
right? It doesn't matter if you go to college and you're done as a junior from career ending injury. At some point, it's going to come to an end. And it's going to be just as hard on the person that played 20 years and is set for life with millions of dollars than it is for the guy that actually never even got to play a year in the NFL or, or maybe didn't get to finish their college season due to injuries. Mm -hmm. I feel like everybody goes through a weird transition where it is finally over and it's a, it's a real thing when it's over. I'm sure even you experienced it. Like football is over. What the hell am I going to do? And so You know, for me, I never had a backup plan. Um, My plan was to play professionally. That was that was the only. I didn't have a backup plan. But what it taught me is, you know, obviously the the discipline, the hard work. I think sports is so great because you're accountable to your coaches. You're accountable to your teammates. I never wanted to let anybody down. I never wanted to be the person that was late for a team meeting. I never wanted to be the person in the game that got like a penalty that screwed over everybody else, right? And so there's so many different elements to the sport from training in the off season and and being the hardest worker in the weight room in the off season when when there's not 65,000 people in the stands. Um, how are you? How are you showing up year round, not just on actual game day? How are you showing up in the practices um, on Monday and Tuesday? that none of the fans get to see. Um, how are you showing up constantly? And then that, that was the biggest thing for me is, you know, the games when you could go and make that big hit, that big play, that big interception, that was all fine and dandy, but it was more about the journey than the destination. Um, the journey was from January till July, what were we doing? How hard were you working? How hard were you studying film? Um, what were you doing to prepare so that when you got that opportunity that you could perform? And that was the biggest thing is I always loved the journey more so than the destination. When I get done with the games, I was I was like so much ready to get back in on Monday and watch film and see what I could do better on. And um, and, and I think it's just so important for kids to have that that accountability is the biggest thing because you know, other people are relying on you. And I was never somebody that wanted to let other people down. And, and so now going into kind of like the business world, um, that translates because, you know, you, you're accountable to your, your clients, uh, you're accountable to, to your trainers, you're, you're like, you know, you, you take that same approach of wanting to win and wanting to be successful and and the discipline that came from you know having to go to practice having to be at team meeting having to watch film and like having this itinerary when i got done with football and i didn't have an itinerary i thought i would enjoy it but i was actually miserable because yeah. i'm like I, I i want this structure again and so <laughs> um so it helped me set up a structure within myself where i could i could be disciplined i could set goals that might be different from my goals when I was playing sports, but the concept is the same. You know, there's deadlines, there's, I've got to wake up at this time and do this and, and laying out an itinerary and a schedule and having goals and then wanting to reach those goals. It was no different than everything that I had to personally go through playing sports um, and, and just being able to like translate into a different world has helped tremendously. I think um, 
I think that's valuable, and it makes me think about uh, this question. And this, if you put on your coaching cap, like I feel like this is um, because you were an athlete. Now that you're in the coaching space uh, slash business, um, I think you'd have a, a cool perspective on this. But um, and and this, you mean I'm asking about you mean I'm asking this question athletically, but I think it also translates to business, family, relationships, whatever. But what are your thoughts on talent versus someone that puts in hard work? Because I and I ask this because uh, you know, I mean, growing up, I always wanted to be the talent guy. I kind of I always heard like we'll always take the hardest worker in the room, but I was like, no, nah, I want to be the guy that just like <laughs> you mean I don't even try and and think. And obviously, as an adult, life kind of kicks you in the butt, and you realize. Man, those coaches, you know what I mean? There was value to, to what they're saying. But you actually do this as a profession where now you're coaching athletes and training uh, and helping people uh, find them best selves through health. Um, but uh, but what, what are your thoughts on that, on, on talent? Someone that just kind of has the talent and someone who uh, shows up every day ready to work. Yeah, it's it's an interesting point. Um, you know, there there are people that are so talented in in sport that they can just show up and they can play. But are they ever going to be a Hall of Famer or you know that guy that has a ridiculous career? You might listen. You can la- you, you definitely can make it off talent alone. I've seen it. I've seen people on my team that have made it off talent alone that I knew weren't working hard. Um, But they had certain abilities that were just crazy. But in the long run, did their accomplishments, did the, the expectation of what they could accomplish meet the talent that they had? And the answer is always no. And a prime example of that, and he's my favorite football player ever, is Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady is somebody that was drafted 199th in the draft. Um, so slow if you watch this 40-yard dash. <laughs> I mean, we're talking zero talent, right, as far as athletic ability. And then you look at somebody like Cam Newton. You could say that Cam Newton is probably the most talented quarterback in the league as far as size, strength. Um, he can, he's can. he got a strong arm. He can run. And you look at the difference of careers – Tom Brady is one of the most disciplined athletes I've ever seen as far as how he treats his body, what he puts into his body. Um, You know, I mean, he's 43 years old and he's performing at an all-time level right now. And somebody that has played 20 years in the NFL has broken every single record. And you can't tell me that he's the most talented person. You know, you can't tell me that he's the most talented um, athlete to ever play. You look in basketball with guys like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, I think both exceptionally talented. But there's also guys that have come in that have been quote-unquote talented, you know, guys that they say are going to be better than them one day. Um, and and they, they will never reach that level of um, success in their career without the hard work. And so when you can combine the two – then you get something special. And, you know, I always got really offended or, or pissed off when people would say, oh, he's just like, like he's just athletic or he just, you know, he, he's got good genetics. Yes, that is true. But I also 
always tried to be the hardest worker in the room as well. And, you know, just, just talent alone, it can only take you so far. I think there's something to be said about the discipline and the structure that you put in your daily life and, and the amount of hard work that you put in is always going to accelerate you further. It doesn't matter how talented you are. I've seen a lot of talented people not make it, not pan out, um, end up not even really having a great career because their work ethic wasn't there. Yeah. Man, I think um, I, I'm, I'm glad we're having this 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 topic or speaking speaking about this because like um man i i think in in terms of life right like even stepping back further and just looking at life it's it's a lot bigger than just you mean you're if it if it's sports or if you're trying to you mean get the promotion or, or or you're just a natural salesman or whatever you know it's a it's a lot bigger than that like you being able to to draw the lesson of discipline from sports it's it's about that because now discipline you can't you can't buy that, yep. right? You can't buy that, but you have that. That's a badge that you have, and you've earned. You put in the time to learn this thing that's not tangible, but it. But you can't. I can't go to Amazon and buy. You mean a couple bags of discipline to help me become? <laughs> you mean uh, a health nut millionaire guy? But uh, but if you have if you put in the work, you mean maybe maybe I don't maybe I don't get to the school that I want to go to, or maybe I don't, you mean, get the promotion. But like, if I keep consistently showing up to work, life will pay me back. And I think uh, that's what, that's what comes to mind when, when you were, when you were speaking about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's a consistency, um, consistency will lead to relevancy, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I tell people this all the time, like, if you show up like for athletes, if you show up one day and and work, you're try hard in practice, okay, great. But then if you're loafing, you know, the other day or the other day, like, like I'm not gonna look at you as like, oh, you're a hard worker. I'm gonna look at you as like you wanted to work hard when it was convenient for you. Right? It's the same thing in 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 jobs. Like, there's people that are tryhards that when the boss is watching, mm-hmm. I'm a hard worker. But when the boss is not watching, I'm loafing and you're never going to be relevant to that boss or that CEO or, you know, whatever discipline and consistency will bring relevancy because now when, when you're, when you're consistently the hardest worker in the room, you're consistently meeting your sales quota, right? If you're, you're a sales guy and you're, you're that guy constantly, um, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to consistently hit that unless you're consistently working hard or putting in the work and when you can do that enough when you can do that repetitively all of a sudden you're relevant all of a sudden your boss is like man like this guy is always at the top right that's how promotions happen is because you're not just there once you're there all the time um it's no different with people getting in shape i tell this people all the time right just something as stupid as like have my clients drink enough water right you drink a you know a gallon of water a day all right it's, if you do it one day awesome but can you do that every single day it's something you have complete control over uh, it's as simple as just staying hydrated but can you do it every single day seven days a week and and 365 days a year most people would go one day and then the next day they can't they can't do it right so it's just the, the being consistent 
if you, if you want to get in shape, consistency. If you want to get that uh, promotion at work, consistency. If you want to beat out somebody in sports at that position, then you have to consistently show better on film every single day. And you've got to consistently um, put yourself in a position to make plays. And that's from watching film. That's from studying your opponent. That's from working on technique, whatever it is. So it, it applies across the board, no matter what it is, no matter what you want to do. Consistency and discipline is always going to be the key. And when you can do that repetitively enough over and over and over again, now you become relevant. And, and relevancy is, is the goal. Yeah. Man, that's powerful, man. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, going back to your story, um, after, after your career, you decide uh, to stay somewhat in, in, in the industry in, in the sense that you're working with athletes or, or people just trying to get healthy. But mainly, I know a lot that you work with a lot of athletes. Um, and you, uh, is this when you start Performance One? Right, right after you're done playing, or yeah, it, it was a couple years after. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I had a major, major um, knee injury, or I should say, knee problem. My senior year, I found out I was bone on bone in my knee. Mm. So that that was really what ended my football career. I found out with four games left my senior year, and so I had a really long recovery from that. It was about a year and a half recovery. So when I was done at BYU, when I was done, um, you know, I really had always wanted to have my own gym. I wanted to get into this profession. I didn't think I would be doing it as soon as I did. Uh, the goal was to play as long as I could. And when that was kind of cut short, I kind of was in a funk for two years. Just one, I wanted to get my knee back. Um, you know, I had to I had to go non-weight bearing for almost three months had to learn how to really walk again and use my leg again. Um, ended up having five knee surgeries. And so really for me, it was like getting my, just getting my body back to a place where I could live a somewhat normal life. Um, wanted to be able to run around with my kids one day. And so that was kind of my first focus. And during that time, I started doing internships and I started really diving in and learning as much as I possibly could. Uh, I started working on the side as just a personal trainer, started getting a couple of clients, didn't know what the hell I was doing whatsoever. And, um, and then I, you know, and then I kind of had this vision is I wanted to own my own like sports performance company and work with a lot of athletes, but it didn't start there. It started by just training whoever I could get. Right. And, and nobody like I, I was like, we talked about relevancy. I was irrelevant at the time uh nobody even knew what i was doing i was working with people that didn't even know who i was um and and so i just started personal training and and then i i got to a point where i was like all right i really want to like make something of this my biggest decision is i didn't know if i wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach at a college or if i wanted to do the private sector and i said the only way i'm going to find this out is if i actually if i experiment with both so i went and did a bunch of different internships and then i actually went and did an internship at the university of kentucky and i was working with their football team and i loved it out there i loved my time out there loved the people i was around um and 
And it was when I moved out there that I really, really started getting into this. And, um, and then I, you know, I had this vision of, uh, I, I wanted, I couldn't decide. And I, I, I made a lot of connections. Uh, I did, you know, I, I had a phenomenal time doing it, but I also had this vision of doing my own thing. And so in 2014 is really when I got started with my company and I moved back to Utah and I settled down right up the street from here and I just just started winging it. Um, I, I didn't go to business school. I, I didn't know anything about business, still learning a ton. And I just started training whoever I could. It didn't matter if it was a 65 year old lady that wanted to eliminate some back pain. Right. It didn't matter who it was. I just started taking on clients. Uh, I did a women's fitness class. I mean, I just, I would literally do anything and everything, but my goal was always to train and work with high level athletes, whether professionally or in high school, middle school, whatever mm -hmm. you name it. That was always the goal, but I didn't start there. I really just started training whoever would hire me. And, and then I just wanted to deliver a good service and and that's really where where it got started and that was in 2014 that's incredible man i think there's a principle to unpack here and i think that's just the principle of acting and taking action i think sometimes if you have you mean maybe for our listeners that might have a business idea sometimes we get paralyzed right by just thinking about like well then but what if this happens or i don't really know what i'm doing i didn't get i'm not qualified i'm inadequate but i love this idea that um, or this practice that you put into place, which was just, I don't know, but I'm just going to, whoever will take me, I'm going to learn with them and I'm going to help them get, get right and get better. And, and, uh, and I, I think that's, that, that applies to sports, business, parenting, whatever. Um, and I think you demonstrated that in, in kind of you sharing your story there. Yeah, really. I just, I threw myself into the fire and I, I really, I had no clue. Like I didn't know anything about, like I said, I didn't, go to business school. I don't have an MBA. And a lot of people are so hung up on this thought that, well, I've got to go get all these credentials and mm -hmm. I've got to go do this and this and this and this. And I was kind of stuck in that mode and people just need to just get started. Just start, you know, just go. And that, that's literally what I did. I said, all right, I'm going to the only way I'm ever going to do this is if I just put my head down. I remember my first month, I made $600. Right, and I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know if I can make a living off six hundred dollars <laughs> a month, right? And I had a couple clients, and that was it. But then I started getting a referral, and then I started getting more referrals, and then all of a sudden, you know, your name starts getting out there, and then you start, you know, and and, and this is the other thing too, especially in the training industry, is everybody everybody wants to train professional athletes, so they try and start there, and it's like. You know, if it was just that easy, every single person yeah. would be training like, oh, I just want to train professional athletes. Well, I did too, but I knew I had to work my way up to get there. I didn't just start there. It, you know, if it, like I said, if it was a 65 year old grandma that wanted to get out of her chair, I was like, bring it on. Like, let's get you up and out of your chair feeling so good. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it was one of those things where I just put my head down and I started and I just told myself if I deliver a good service, if I deliver a good product that, um, it'll grow over time. And that's exactly what it did. And it, and it just, you know, I never would have imagined that it would ever turn into something that it has. It just happened somewhat organically. And, 
And then as far as the business side goes and learning how to market and learning how to do certain things, I just learned as I, as I went, I didn't even know how to do my taxes my first year. I was like, you know, I was like, oh wait, I got to do taxes and I've got to get an LLC. Like I get so many people, um, college students reaching out and being like, Hey, like, I, I want to start my own training business. Like you, like, what do I need to do? They're, They're worried about the wrong things. They're like, well, I need to do this and I need to do this. And I was like, get a client first. Cause you don't have a business. Yeah. You don't have a business yet. Um, I didn't have a business. I just started growing my clientele. And so I always tell them you don't have a business unless you have a clientele, mm-hmm. go grow your clientele and get to a point where you can actually, and then when it, when it matters, now you can start learning about all these other things that go into it. But dude, I had my, I think I had my mom help me set up an LLC. I didn't even know what an LLC was. Right. Okay. So you know, I got my degree in exercise science. Okay. What they don't teach you is when you get out into the world that that only goes so far. Right. And, you know, especially if you're going to work in the private sector and do your own thing. But my advice to young trainers or, or people trying to get into this industry is stop worrying about the ro- the wrong things. Just go, just go and put your head down, start working with people and start growing your customer base and then and then figure out stuff as you go hire coaches find other people that are successful at doing those things already and have them teach you what to do because if you're focused on that from the get-go you're never going to make it yeah it's worth mentioning too because as as you've done this uh and you've built your business you actually also have a new gym that's being built right now right just down the street state-of-the-art place so uh, look out for Pendleton or Performance One, which is um, Jordan's business. But um, I want to, as, as we hit, we're running out of time, so I kind of want to just go over um, a couple, a couple things. Um, because you're 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 a coach, you're a trainer, and uh, and an entrepreneur. Um, I love that that what you've decided to do is to help people. Right, that's such a noble thing to actually help, like a, a legitimate problem, right, and help people becoming them best selves. And uh, and I'm I'm wondering if there's 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 tips and tricks, like like uh, you know what I mean. Everyone wants to be you know what I mean as ripped as you know what I mean the ripped dude, right? Like right. they want to they want to look like Jordan Pendleton. Um, but what's something like if someone's at ground zero? Because sometimes for for these people that are a little apprehensive about this whole like man, I I, I don't. I mean, I know I need to get right, but like, what's from from your perspective? What's a common thing that you see with with um, with just people in general? They're like, man, if you just did this, that would do a lot. It's not going to do everything, but it's going to get you. You're going to notice, you know, what I mean, like a a, a big a big result just right. from from doing this one thing. Yeah, set set smart goals. All right, some people. Like you said, set that goal of like, I want to look like this person or I want to do this person. First of all, genetics are different. Body types are different. Lifestyle is different. Um, so, you know, setting a goal that's so broad without having an actual plan to get there, you're always going to fail. And with a SMART goal, a SMART goal is something that's specific. All right. What's something specific that you want to achieve? It needs to be measurable. You need to be able to actually measure if you're able to like along the way, um, are you getting there? 
it needs to be attainable. Okay. You actually need to be able to achieve that goal. Yeah. And, and then the, the most important is realistic. It's gotta be something realistic, right? Like if, if I'm five, five and I'm 160 pounds and I'm like, I want to look like the rock. Yeah. It's like, sorry, dude. Like yeah. you, that's just not in your yeah. card. So, so realistic. And then, and then, you know, there's gotta be a timetable on it, set a timetable. And, you know, I, I tell people this is like with people that are starting from ground zero, don't try and think that you're going to get there overnight and don't try to make every change all at once or else you're going to get burnt out and you're, you're going to end up fizzling out. You're going to go back to your original lifestyle. Start with baby steps. That baby step could be just being more active, you know, trying to work out more during the week. Or, um, we talked about water intake. Like that's one of my most important things with my clients is dude, people do not drink, drink enough water. They don't understand how important it is, but like start by trying to drink a gallon of water every day, right? Cause that's something in your control. There's, there's so many variables that are out of our control. Mm-hmm. There's sometimes you're not going to be able to get your workout in, especially you have kids and a wife and, and you have a job. I get it. There's some days that you're not going to be able to work out. And I have that same problem. That's fine. That, that might be something that's out of your control, but something in your control is drink enough water. Mm-hmm. Something in your control is, um, you know, getting enough steps in the day, being more active, moving a lot more, something as simple as that. Right. Yeah. I, um, you, yeah. you, I remember you posted something about this. Yeah. All the, yeah. It's one of my about, biggest, it's one of my biggest things is because when, you know, people are younger, we're so active, right? Yeah. We're running, we're jumping, we're playing still the flag, or at least we used to now kids just play whatever Halo yeah. or whatever <laughs> Fortnite, I think is yeah. what it's called. And, and so the activity level goes down tremendously. We go from, recess and sports and still the flag and um you know just constantly being active to sitting at a desk all day yeah so i tell people like dude try and get ten thousand steps in a day and it's amazing how hard that is for most people so set small specific goals that are in your control you know you can accomplish if you set goals that are unrealistic then it's going to make you not motivated anymore and it's going to fizzle away and then you're going to fail And then the most important thing about setting a goal is make sure that when you get to that goal, it's something that's sustainable for you. You know, people all the time are like, oh, I'm just going to go on the keto diet really quick and lose a bunch of weight. Okay, cool. But when that keto, when you're, when you're done doing keto, then what are you going to do? You're going to go back to your regular eating behaviors and you're going to gain all that weight back. So can, if you're going to do keto, can you do keto for the rest of your life? Most of the time, the answer is no. I'm not going to just not eat carbs the rest of my life, right? right? That's not a realistic expectation. That's not a realistic goal. And so, so set a smart goal that is specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and then put a time on it. And, and, and if you, and, 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 you know, I'll just say one thing with that. People want overnight success and it just doesn't happen. I tell, I was talking with a client last week and I said, Okay, you're 300 pounds, okay? Did you get 300 pounds overnight or did it happen in the last 20 years? And he's like, he had to really think about it like, holy shit, you're right. It took me like 20 years to put on all this weight. So do you think that you're gonna lose that 100 pounds overnight? Okay, So, so think about how long it took you to get to where you're at 
Now to reverse that, it's not, it's not going to happen overnight. And that's, that's the biggest mistake is people want that quick magic pill, that overnight, something that's going to just help them lose a hundred pounds overnight. Um, have patience, man, have patience and, and put in the work. We talked about consistency and discipline. And, and if you can do that long enough, you're going to be surprised of how far you can go. And I, I love that. I'm glad you brought up sustainability because f- you have to be able to do it for you mean forever if if you want if you want the results to stick. Um, I even when you when you brought up the the water intake and the steps, I love that because that's um that's like you said in your control and that's doable for for the better part of of the world. For most generally speaking, most people that are listening to this are able to control how much water they put in their body and how many steps they take. And and even these two things, I love that you brought, and you took the time to make this post. I reckon it was one of my favorite posts that you posted because you posted a side-by-side picture of you, and, uh, and there's one where you're definitely more defined, and you said, the only difference, I worked out the same, I ate the same, and whatever, the only difference was that you were getting your more steps in in a day, right? Yeah. Or, activity level activity level and there, there's something to be said look i i'm at a place where i'm kind of like happy with my body composition there's sometimes i want to if i go on vacation i want to get you know shredded or something or, or more lean but but knowing that that's not sustainable i can't stay that lean year round or else i'm gonna be miserable yeah i'm gonna be the guy at thanksgiving that's not having any pie and, yeah and i don't want to be that guy that's not enjoyable for me and and so when i made that post you know, I went from being on the floor training everybody 16 hours a day and getting 20,000 steps in a day to now more of in a, you know, more of an owner position where I'm not running every group. And I sit at a desk all day and, and I was getting so frustrated, like, man, why am I putting on so much body fat? Like, what am I doing different? And, and it was a huge eye opener for me of how my activity level had diminished so much so instead of being at maintenance or even in a slight deficit with my with my nutrition i was in a surplus because i wasn't as active as i had been in previous years and i think it was so important to show people that because you can tell people that all the time be more active be more active it's like this cliche right but it's true man like get off your ass yeah. You know, plain and simple and just little things like that. Most people will come to me and they're like, do you work out two times a day and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't need to be this rigorous routine where you're training six, seven days a week, twice doing double days and starving yourself. It needs to be something that you can actually sustain. So start with something that's in your control and do that until you develop a habit and then Bring in another habit. Once that habit's developed, don't stop that one. Bring in another one that you can attain and that's sustainable. And then do that one. And when you can start stacking these habits on top of each other long enough, then you'll get to a point where um, you have an approach that is something you can fit into your lifestyle. Because if you just go all haywire and try to go full blow from the get-go, you'll burn out. You're not going to be able to sustain that level. And, and then you're going to quit, which is what 96% of people do when they start their, their fitness journey or health journey. Man, uh, words of wisdom, man, powerful. Look, here, here's, the, here's the last question that we ask everybody. But again, Jordan, thanks for uh, all the, the golden nuggets that, that, you, that you kind of shared with us. 
it's um knowledge that i think we're getting for free right you're sharing everyone that's listening to this will will have access to it but i i think one of the uh, or a few of the principles that kind of have been a pattern through this is discipline and consistency and so start start to uh put these into motion you know what i mean and and, and act and and uh and do things that are within your control but the last question man when you look at your journey um and this is considering the days with your dad hustling with him and him making you work um even as a as a child in little league football more than the more than the kids that were you mean going home and eating mac and cheese or whatever (laughs) i don't know what they're doing but like when you consider those days, your high school and college days as an athlete and, and now as an entrepreneur and coach, um, and also considering uh, you as a family man uh, with your beautiful family and your uh, little daughter especially, what are you what are you grateful for? Oh, man, I'm just grateful that I woke up, <laughs> you know. Um, that, you know, 2020 has been a, a crazy year for everybody, you know, and you you really have found out the true identity of most people this year because there's people that are going to blame 2020 and blame you know everybody else for their problems and oh I would have done this but I, and I should have done this but covid but covid um you know for for me it's like just taking the responsibility and and there's no excuses like the fact that I woke up this morning and I got to hold my daughter and you know watch tv with her for like 20 minutes before i went to work like that's something that covid or the whoever the president is that gets elected like they can't take that away that moment away from me and so just being grateful for every day that you have because um you know i'm I'm grateful for a lot of things but the most important thing is that i woke up today because a lot of people didn't and 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 if you did wake up today you actually have an opportunity whatever your goals are, whatever you want to achieve, whatever it is that you're trying to do, um, you have an opportunity. If you did somebody wrong, you have an opportunity today to make it right. And so if you just woke up today, then congratulations, because a lot of people didn't. And and that's something you can be extremely grateful for. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm alive. So, you know, it, it, it sounds dumb, but it's true. Like, if you woke up today and you have legs and arms and you can see and you can hear and you can talk um, and you have goals and you have ambitions, then then you should be grateful because you, you have an opportunity to now go do something about it and nobody can stop you except for yourself. Well, that's beautiful, man. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Pendleton, thanks for coming on, man. Yep, thanks for having me, bro.